Time now is 3.30. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is May the 4th, 2004, and the horrors escalate. War crimes, is that? Is that an oxymoron? War crimes? <laughs> Heads will roll, they say. Anything done in war is a crime in peacetime, but somebody's got to take the fall for all these hideous pictures on the TV. Um, never mind that violence breeds violence. Bush expresses disgust. What did he think he was sending these kids to do? <laughs> the torture of prisoners is as common in our prisons here in the United States as it is in Iraq. Where there is such chaos, I'm surprised it took this long for atrocity pictures to hit the mainstream, mailstream media. I was, I have to say, I was disturbed by that one picture, the woman, the woman cheering on the sadists. Particularly creepy, yes, it's like watching idiot children torture one another. Who wrote that poem with the line, pity the monsters, pity the monsters. God, I don't know which is greater, my pity or my dread. Sociopaths. We discussed the rise of the sociopath. They've always been out there, folks. But they need an opportunity, you know. They need a, a leader to let them loose. I always wonder how they get that way, you know, um, how children are allowed to grow up uncivilized. Is it their genes or maybe... Being raised by people who have no, no empathy, no compassion. Um, I don't think, um, their emotional education is being tended to. Yes. Barbarism is what we used to call this. Yes. Families of barbarians. Um, never mind their political education. That's almost beside the point. Uh, I'm shocked to see how many people are willing to go to war just because the president tells them to. My God, I was a child in World War II, and even then we needed a reason, um, you know, a clear and present danger, threat to the nation. And I thought Vietnam had taught Americans to think first. I guess, I guess each generation has to thrash through all this stuff all over again. I remember back in World War II, I remember little 
Loose sailors, 19, they demanded a just cause. Most of them, well, the ones I knew were medical corpsmen, and they went along to take care of the wounded. And uh, that was a decent compromise, I think, for them. But uh, they're not willing to, um, you know, just go rushing into the the battle. Attacking a nation, obviously unable to retaliate in kind, is... Uh, well, it requires denial, folks, that's all. We noticed that, I think, what is it, decades ago, little country after little country, not just Vietnam, but uh, all the little wars, uh, Grenada. Uh, today it is Pax Americana, a nightmare beyond dishonorable. And these soldiers, uh, they have to make it up in their heads, you know. Uh, it's a form of denial. A Voltaire said, Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. That's what's on the front page of the newspapers. Uh, what was it? Old Thomas Jefferson said, I weep for my country when I remember that God is just. <laughs> ah, me, Tom. I'm afraid I'm not too sure about that. It's a little late for justice. Who can say that all these fundamentalists are wrong? Maybe some revelation is at hand, some apocalypse. What is that quote, um, that biblical quote? Jesus says to the women of Jerusalem, Yes, weep not for me, you women of Jerusalem. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For if these things be done in the green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Yes, indeed. And what's coming down this century, I won't be here to see. If you have seen the pictures on the tube coming from the Sudan, you see the collapse of civilization well on its way. I cut out... Uh, a New Yorker cartoon pasted it over my desk this week. It's a picture of an Old Testament god. He's got some angel assistant whispering in his ear and pointing down to the earth. His expression is grim. He's the Old Testament god with the big beard, you know. The caption reads, And this time, no ark. <laughs> I'm... Such a, such a Berkeley booby, such a provincial woman. I, I always think that there's an ark somewhere, you know, some way to uh, sail out of this mess, a ship on the sea of history coming to rescue us. My friends tell me that the ship of state is sinking. Uh, actually, I think it hit the rocks after 9-11 when the Bush administration lost an opportunity to win the hearts and minds of people all around the globe. You remember, we had a moment there, well, a month or so, that violent assault on thousands of citizens in New York was a crime that provoked nothing but condemnation in men of goodwill. We, here in the U.S. of A., George W., we had the moral high ground... Even as a politician, even as a 
conniving wheeler-dealer. He failed utterly, failed utterly to use that opportunity. Uh, geez, he could have come on like a statesman. Instead, he used that crime as an excuse to push his own agenda and declare war, yes, war. You declare war on nations, uh, Osama bin Laden is a criminal. The question that dogs me is how did the American people let these guys get away with it? Over and over again, the question that rattles in my head over and over again is who will stop them? Congress is not just asleep at the switch. It seems completely comatose except for the usual, the usual suspects, the usual exceptions. God bless them. Oh, yes. Recently, there is some action on the left. What's left of the left pulling itself together. Thank God, in the hope that it has a constituency out here in liberal land. Yes, boys. Now, that constituency, you will remember, elected Al Gore. Remember? Ariana Huffington has it just right. Yeah, she got a book out. Yeah, she calls the political parties fanatics and fools. That's her new shtick. Uh, Republicans, fanatics, of course, and Democrats, fools. Only fools would select John Kerry as candidate and then proceed to pick him apart before he's even official. Everywhere I turn, somebody has some bone to pick, you know. Uh, for Christ's sakes, boys and girls, get off your adversarial asses. This is the time to get it together. This is the time for unity. Harmony we never have on the left, but unity is necessary in a presidential election. The Messiah is not running for public office. John Kerry is not running for the mayor of Berkeley. As a matter of fact, John Kerry, uh, he may not be the Messiah, but he's got a sterling biography. Could not be better. Study his record and consider the job description. You don't get elected president of the United States if you are unwilling unwilling to cause uh, cause a war. Now, Kerry knows he's got to get elected before he can help change anything. He knows that the way to lose elections is to be anti-war. He twice lost senatorial bids doing that. You remember Bill Clinton lost his second uh, governor's bid when he went too far left. Politics is the art of the possible. These guys have to dance, dance, dance. Presidential candidates must find ways to get the majority vote. As we all know, politics is not pretty. Uh, nobody's asking us to date these men. It isn't about feeling good. I hear that everywhere from so many young people. You know, they don't like, they don't feel good about this or that candidate. This is about our survival. In my phrase book, I distinguish the Democrats from the Republicans in the following way. Yes. <laughs> Democrats are a stay of execution. Republicans have a license to kill. 
And I'm not being facetious, folks. This is war. Don't kid yourselves. Uh, this November is going to make um, the 2000 election look like child's play. Uh, it is absolutely necessary for us to get it together. One thing you might consider doing, especially if you're a teacher, you want to take your classes to a movie playing here in Berkeley at the Act One. I want to tell you about that before I forget. Yes, it's um, called The Agronomist. Very important movie. That title is ironic. Um, it's a movie about a secular saint, a Haitian patriot and activist, the voice of Radio Haiti Inter, Jean-Dominique. Uh, let's see. He took over, well, he took the lease on Haiti's oldest radio station in 1968. He trained as an agronomist. That's why the film uses that title. <laughs> but his father laughs about that and says, yes, an agronomist with no land. Anyway, uh, his passion for the freedom of the Haitian people, you know, led him to become a uh, an activist, a journalist. This documentary film is the sort of thing that helps remind us what it's all about, this fight for social justice we're on about. This is the guy, you know, who has fun while he's doing it. Uh, of course, he was assassinated in April of 2000 in front of his radio station, 70 years old, and they had to gun him down. Ah, oh, his wife says he is not dead. At the end of the film, she goes on the air in a commemorative speech. Her name is Michelle Montaz, M-O-N-T-A-S. His wife, yes, she's a loving presence in this movie, uh, she tells the story of her life, uh, educated in the U.S. Homecoming queen, she was here. <laughs> we see uh, scenes from their years in exile in New York, um, Paris. Two daughters struggle to bring free speech to Haiti. Uh, it's a revelation, this movie. What helped me is the ecstatic mood of this man, uh, the joyful way he presents his convictions. You know... Uh, being left is more fun, folks. He has this humor and dramatic style of storytelling. Uh, explains why he was so popular with his audience. Uh, when he returned to Haiti after six years abroad, 60,000 Haitians greeted him in Port-au-Prince. If you're interested in these tragic events going down in Haiti right now, you need to see this movie for background, for... Um, uh, historic context. Uh, today's history, what's happening there today, is simply the latest chapter in a long, long struggle for freedom. Uh, as I said, uh, Jean-Dominique is someone of my generation, and his fight began all the way back there with um, Papa Doc Duvalier, and then, then uh, Baby Doc, age 19, becomes uh, ruler for life, president for life, dictator for life, whatever it was. The struggle continued then, even when Aristide was elected. Uh, the Tonton Matut is uh, ever-present, yes. The uh, the thugs, the darkness, everywhere we look, always. Um, the megalomacho army seems that it's simply melted into the military maelstream of today. Aristide's story is probably too complex for this film, um, I think um, 
what's needed is more um, uh, more time for um, uh, people to put that story together in their heads. What they need to do is check out this movie just for for what I would call a mood booster, something to make yourself feel like it's worth it's worth going on. Uh, you know, the overall picture. I remember uh, years ago, a few years ago, Clinton did try to do the right thing. There's a, a little tidbit of that in the movie. Uh, that effort failed, of course. It's funny to think that the President of the United States couldn't do the right thing even when he tried. Uh, the East Bay Express has a review of The Agronomist. If you need more information before you go to see it, it's at Act 1, Act 2 in Berkeley. That review is by Melissa Levine. Jonathan Demme directed the picture. If I were in charge, if I ruled, I'd see to it that this movie got onto all the networks and onto PBS and into the high schools. Um, this is an activist who possesses the secret of joy, Jean Dominique. Alice Walker tells us that the secret of joy is resistance, yes. Get out there and uh, speak truth to power. And before I forget, if you're interested in this coming election, check out a PBS show called The Jesus Factor. It's on Frontline this week. It's all about our president's pathology, his religiosity. George Bush is a true believer. Evangelicals are his constituency. Let's see, I have some notes here on the number of evangelicals in the United States. <laughs> terrific, absolutely terrific material, folks. Uh, this stuff is funny. Uh, according to John Green of Akron University, there are 50 million white evangelical Protestants in the United States. There are 20 million black Christians, many of whom are evangelical. There are 50 million Roman Catholics, roughly. 30 million of whom are traditional in their beliefs. Aha, yeah, those are the ones that Mel Gibson is playing to. There are 30 million mainline Protestants, many of whom are theologically liberal, but not all. So that makes, give or take, more than 100 million Orthodox Christians. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, now, roughly 75% of the evangelicals voted for Bush. White evangelicals accounted for as much as 40% of his total vote. Another 20% came from traditional Catholics. Oh, my God. It's numbers, people. Politics is numbers. Uh, the thing is, um, I am still in the, uh, what is it, in the, in the retard group. Uh, I haven't gotten up to date. I'm not up to speed because I'm... I'm one of those who thinks of the evangelicals as people who are largely poor and uneducated and easy to command, but it's not true anymore. That's what the Washington Post said about the conservative evangelicals back in 1993. What I missed is that these people, these people are rich. They have money to spend. Um, 
Let's see. We have considerable upward social mobility among evangelicals during the past 30 years. They spend roughly $4 billion a year on Christian books and $850 million a year on Christian albums. Yep. Now, this is something that, you see, Mel Gibson knew all about. And I missed it. I missed it. I wasn't paying attention. Now, before I forget, I do want to mention just two more um, TV goodies here on HBO. Um, oh, no, on PBS, too. Check out um, Oliver Stone's film, Looking for Fidel. Fascinating documentary all about um, Fidel Castro. And, of course, um, Oliver Stone is sharp, sharp as a tack. He asks the hard questions. But we do see that human rights in Cuba is not the problem that um, we have been led to believe by our mass media. Uh, Fidel doesn't even make the list of... Um, uh, bad guys on an international level. I mean, whatever you believe, you're going to learn something new about Cuba and about Fidel. Uh, just imagine George W. sitting across a table discussing with Oliver Stone or with anybody uh, our political prisoners, our public welfare, um, our ideology, our history, the whole ball of wax. Uh, I think that Fidel Castro gives startlingly honest answers. This is as good as it gets in my time. Uh, when I was young, Fidel Castro was our dream date. This is about as much as any revolutionary leader can hope to achieve in his lifetime, especially with the United States adversarial attitude for almost half a century. Uh, the future, says Fidel, does not belong to anyone. Fidel, I would say, belongs to the ages. He says that he feels so sorry for the younger generation. I remember my youngest son saying to me when he was a teenager, he said, do you think we could go to Cuba and surrender, Mother? <laughs> I was sure there's nothing they could find for me to do. I'm a pretty worthless old woman. I could maybe pick a little coffee, but not, not now. I'm past it. There's one more show on PBS that'll be rerunning this week. Uh it's all about the weather underground in the 1960s. That's another show for those of you who who perhaps were not born at the time and who need to check out this material to figure out what it was like back there in the 1960s and how we got to be what we are today. Yes, indeed. Now, I need to tell you something about what I'm going to do next week, folks. Uh, next week... We are starting our um, uh, fundraiser. And we're going to persuade you to subscribe to Pacifica Public Radio. Oh, my premium next Tuesday is a book that I have loved ever since I first read it. Sometimes I need, I need to go back to my roots, uh, find uh, something special. This is a novel by Thornton Wilder called The Bridge of San Luis Rey, an American classic. Uh, and if you call in next Tuesday at 3.30, you can get a copy of this book if you call, subscribe to the station at our regular rate. Uh, I want to give you just a little bit of 
background on this book. I I was reminded of it the other night. I saw on Turner Classics on the Old Movies Channel. I saw the world's most dreadful movie made from the book, and I remembered seeing it as a little kid, um, barely a teenager. And I was still so carried away by the thought behind this uh, story, you know, that I went out and went to the library and got the book. Now, that shows you even a bad movie can inspire something. And they turned the movie into a dumb little romance. Uh, but there's a scene in which an actress, the leading actress in Peru back in Let's see, we're talking 1714, back in the 18th century, right? Uh, this woman has to walk barefoot to apologize to an aristocrat. And that was the custom then. She had to put on black and walk barefoot through the streets to apologize for making fun of an aristocrat when she was on the stage. And I just loved the scene. I thought it was, I thought it was cool. Anyway, um, let me read you just a little bit of the foreword to Thornton Wilder's Bridge of San Louis Ray. Uh, sometimes, yes, I need a book that is perfect literature. I'm so worn out with all the journalism telling me about, uh, what is it, the atrocities of our time. Thornton Wilder's Bridge of San Louis Ray is as close to perfect a moral fable as we're ever likely to get in American literature. This is a foreword written to the novel by Russell Banks, good old Russell Banks. Written near the end of the Roaring Twenties by a man barely out of his own twenties, it nonetheless feels in its exquisite universality and ease of timeless application it feels ancient, classical, and almost biblical. Footnote here. This is up to us, folks. The left wing has got to claim the moral high ground. We've got to be based in the sacred. Uh, call it Christian if you like. I don't care. I'm willing to be a closet Christian if that's the way to go. Uh, when we read this novel today, 75 years after its first publication... We nod in admiration and wonder at its uncanny ability to describe ourselves to ourselves in terms that are both essential to our species and particular to our times. One merely has to consider the central question raised by the novel, which, according to Thornton Wilder himself, was simply, Is there a direction and meaning in lives beyond the individual's own will? It is perhaps the largest and most profoundly personal philosophical inquiry that we can undertake. It's the question that defines us as human beings. This novel begins precisely at noon on July 20th, 1714, when a bridge on the royal road between Lima and Cusco, the finest bridge in all Peru, inexplicably collapses and five people who happen at that moment to be crossing the bridge plummet to their deaths. The bridge seemed to be among the things that last forever. It was unthinkable that it should break. Again, I have a footnote here, thinking of those twin towers. For most people, it was unthinkable. 
I have to say, not for me. What goes up must come down, folks. In any case, in this novel, a devout, metaphysically anxious Franciscan missionary to the natives, Brother Juniper, witnesses the collapse of the bridge and asks of the event, why did this happen to those five? He is convinced that the accident cannot be other than a sheer act of God. He believes, therefore, that a scrupulously scientific examination of those five lives will reveal why they and no one else among the thousands who might just as easily have been crossing were killed. Yes, the search, the search for meaning is what it's all about. I guess that's all language is good for, folks. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air again Thursday morning at 8.20. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadow out of What does it mean to lose your home? What is it like to be exiled within your own country? Join us for the powerful documentary, Caught in Between, What to Call Home in Times of War, by Lena Hoshino, on Wednesday, May 5th at 6 p.m. at the new college located on 766 Valencia Street in San Francisco. Visit www.cottonbetween.org or call 415-431-8232 for more information. 